Welcome to the Aussie Firebug podcast where we talk about financial independence in Australia. Today's guest is Ben Evingham, who managed to retire from full-time work at the amazing age of 29. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Hey, thank you so much for me. Excited to be here. Guess we'll start with, um, let's just go back to the, to the very beginning. When did you know you wanted to be financially independent or when did you even discover the concept of um, being financially independent? That's a really interesting question. So there's probably two key stories for me that really stand out from things that have happened over the last 10 years that were really meaningful. was um, when I was 19 years of age, I was sitting around having some beers with about 20 of my mates at the time. Um, obviously, when you're a bit you've still got that big crew of people that you hang out with every weekend mm. and um, we're sitting around and suggested that we book a trip to Europe in a couple of months and so the next day four boys and myself went on a trip and um, two months later we were over there and it was the exact sort of trip that you imagine a 19 year old is going to go to Europe and do and that was sort of the partying and having a fun time mm. um, and I got to this point actually it was probably six weeks into the eight week trip and I'm sitting watching the sunset on my own um, in Paris, watching the like the sunset behind the eye. And I was, I was literally sitting there, and I know this is, may sound a little bit strange, but I was looking at the Eiffel Tower and it was like I was looking into the sky and at that time the sky looked extremely chaotic to me and all of a sudden um, it, I, looked, I looked up again and it was almost like this, this is really odd, like especially for me, but the, the stars had kind of, become straighter and like to align themselves in it and it was like my my future was just opened up to me and I knew at that point that I had to do something different and so it was a it was a massive like transformational experience for me personally and wow, I is, came home and really quite weird. epiphany. <laughs> I don't even know if I believe in this stuff, but it was just this one strange moment that like it was literally like my future was just mapped out in front of me and I knew not at the time what I needed to do but I knew I was on my way and so I came right. back and moved to um, Queensland from Sydney. I th- thought at that time in my life I needed to get away from a lot of the influences that were in my life which were, you know, a lot of party people and a lot of people that weren't really mm-hmm. going anywhere Yep. and um, sort of started fresh and that was the first major experience. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So let's just rewind a bit. So you're 19 and... Were you working full time at that stage, or uni, or? Yeah, I, I dropped out of uni um, six months into my course, and mm-hmm. it was my second. I took two gap years basically, and it was in the second gap year. So I'd been working full time for about six months to save for the trip. Yep. And was that an eye opener? Because I know for me, when I f- first started um, working full time, I just it was mind blowing. Like I always knew the hours and I knew people went off and they worked, um, you know, eight to five, uh, Monday to Friday. But when you, it's not till you actually start doing it, I think that it's, it's such <laughs> a, a full on experience. It's like, oh my God, this is just so much time I'm at work. And even I quite like my job and I don't know if you went through the same experience, but I just remember my first year that I was just like, this is, um, this is crazy and I don't even work that many hours like I've got mates that do the uh, fly in fly out work and they're working four weeks straight and one week off I thought this is mental just wasting so much life and 
Yeah. Did you have a similar experience working them six months to save up for your trip? <laughs> Absolutely. Like I knew from the first day I started my first job that I wasn't wired the same way as the people that I was working with. So yeah, yeah. my first job was with a major elevator company as a um as a labourer or a lackey for one of the electricians and yep. um I just realised I was wired differently straight away. Like I wasn't interested in taking breaks, so I was just interested in getting in, getting the job done as quickly as possible and getting the hell out of it. Mm. And um, you know, like I worked in that job for the six months before I left and I used to have this guy who's about six years of age and he just he's just to ride me every day and on the day that I left he said Sorry to see you go, mate. You're the best young employee we've ever had here and I really thought I could have gone a long way. And I'm like, you're half the reason I'm bailing on this job because you were such an ass to me for that period of time. And <laughs> it's it's funny like how, how things come around like that. But, yeah, it was a, um, a definitely an eye-opener and something I would definitely never want to do again either. Yeah, right. So you knew that you, you didn't want to work um, full-time for the rest of your life and you went, you go on this trip and the stars align and you're like, okay, something's, something's happening here. I need to sort of change my path. And how did you then, from that moment, because a lot of people don't even realize financial independence is a thing. I, I knew that myself. I, I remember reading about it and I was just like, my mind was just blown. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you just, you keep buying these things that make you money, assets. And if you buy enough assets, they can replace your income. And it was just like, my mind was just like blowing when I read that. I was like, that's so simple. It's just, why hasn't anyone told me about that before? Or why haven't I ever heard about that before? And then I had my doubts, but um, yeah, I'm interested to know your, uh, your experience with that. And like, was that something that you'd always been around? Was it family members that had, had reached it or did you discover that on your own? No. So um, unfortunately, like I had to sort of, discover that on my own not a lot of the people that I grew up with or their families or my family had a huge amount of surplus money at the end of the week or the month so fast forward sort of from Europe four years I was finishing a university degree and about six months before finishing the degree I picked up this book by Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad Poor Dad I'm, yes, I'm yes. sure a lot of people listening have read that book and it's oh, yeah. it's such a foundational book for a lot Classic. of people as well yeah um and I read this book and I just went pretty much holy shit type thing it completely opened up my eyes to what was possible and from that moment forward I knew that assets and businesses were better than wages and a job so um, I focused on buying buying assets as soon as I finished university and um, with the intention as soon as I had the right skill set to go out and succeed to um, leave full-time work and, and start a business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I almost had an identical um, experience. That that Rich Dad, Poor Dad was actually the second uh, sort of financial book that I ever read. I originally read um, Stephen McKnight's book, Zero to 130 Properties in 3.5 properties. Years. And yeah, great book as well. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome book. And I just remember the same sort of thing. You're, you're reading it, you're like, this is just like so up my alley and why isn't everyone doing this especially yeah rich dad poor dad is a really good mindset one i think it's just yep. gets you to think about things differently and it's it's it just makes so much sense when i was reading i was just like yes this is exactly what i want to do and you know trading your time for money for 40 50 years and then relying on the government to um you know help you out with retirement just seemed like 
oh, just crazy to me. And, <laughs> yeah, and then absolutely. I realized, like, so I always had that in the back of my head, but then I realized um, that people were actually retiring early and that just blew my mind. And I was like, I have to get there as soon as possible. And that book was, yeah, that, that was a big eye-opener for me as well. Yeah, I think um, something that happened for me post-university because I, I was lucky I got accepted into one of the big companies in Sydney's graduate programs and for a lot of people that's a fast track way to make a career. Yep. But um, I realised that once I'd finished high school, um, done the degree, gone and worked the big corporate job that I still wasn't ever going to be fulfilled doing that and it was at that point I went on a trip with my girlfriend who's now my wife to Bali after working with IBM for a couple of years and um, she said you're miserable and you've you've got to leave and at that point again we packed up for the second time from Sydney and moved back to Queensland and from that moment forward I didn't make a single decision again based on fear or lack or something that wasn't in alignment with where I truly wanted to be right. and and just just decided from that point on that I'd actively build the skills required to actually be a business owner as opposed to an employee long term. Okay, cool. So you knew that working for someone else and just doing the normal nine to five uh, day grind um, career sort of thing wasn't for you. Did you then, so you read um, Rich Dad Poor Dad, was investing or businesses your first preference or where, where did you sort of go from there? So investing was definitely my first preference because I I came from a mindset which is like a huge amount of people that are probably in your audience which is you have to follow a certain path to achieve a certain result and that path is school, university, great job, paying a huge amount of money, maybe investing in a couple of properties and, you know, retiring. Mm -hmm. So for me... um, I listened to this guy a huge amount when I exercised and trained called Jim Rohn and he talks about he talks about financial independence and achieving financial independence. His his first goal for every employee is to replace their full time wage while they're working in their job. Yep. Um, and then he goes on to say that he replaced his wage by three times before he left his job. Whoa. And that was that was always my goal. So I was earning good money over six figures by the time I was sort of twenty three, twenty four. Right. And I was looking to replace my wage by three times, which was a ridiculous goal. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I had that goal. It was probably because I'd been listening to him so much that I just thought that was financial independence where mm. I end up meeting someone further down the track that convinced me to leave my job because I'd, I'd replace my basic living expenses and was ready to go on and, and do what I love full time. Right. So you went through, you went down the investing road first, you discovered property um why property what attracted you to property um i think the number one attraction to property for me was i understood it i'd seen a i'd seen i'd met people during university that were millionaires through property and i knew they weren't any smarter than me i knew you didn't have to be a rocket scientist yeah and i just i naturally love it like i love the concept of buying something of average quality with potential and then manufacturing potential into the deal. Right. And I also just thought the one thing with property is you can use leverage. So I could I only had a $20,000 deposit within the first year of leaving uni and I knew that 20 grand in shares leverage might have been $40,000 that I could buy where with property with 20 grand at the time I could buy a $400,000 asset. 
mm-hmm. um, using first home buyers grants and things like that. So for me, that was extremely attractive because leveraged compounding interest to me is what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. And um, so what sort of property investor would you say uh, that you are you like a buy and hold sort of guy or um, you like to do a development or renovating? I'm all about buy and hold now, but by buying and holding, I I develop or I or I renovate. So I I'll never just buy and hold something and hope that the market goes up. I'll make sure that I can manufacture at least a hundred thousand dollars plus into the deal before yeah. I even buy it. Type thing. You retired from full time work at twenty nine. Do you work at all these days? Yeah, I work probably harder than I've ever worked before, <laughs> um, but. I, <laughs> But I work doing what I love every single day, and that's helping other people buy property. And it, it's my it's my passion. Like I'm absolutely obsessed with this stuff. It's all about contribution now, as opposed to making cash. Though it's funny, um, you know, that you say that you work harder than you ever have before, because I read a lot about people that have made it to the end goal. They've reached financial freedom, and it's funny that some people, because um, some people do it without ever starting their own business you know they just work their um, nine to five day job and they slog it out until they've got enough investments to cover their living expenses which is totally fine way to do it and it's interesting reading um, those people that do it like that a lot of them say that when they get to the very end of their journey like um, you know they've only got six months to go or something and they should theoretically be able to retire then suddenly working this job um is a lot better and you're you, like waking up every morning to, to go to your job is suddenly, <laughs> um, you know, not as much stress or it's not as much doom and gloom as it was before. Like when you were 10 years earlier and you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, is that psyche sort of in your mind that you, you could turn around tomorrow and say, Hey, actually I don't want to do this. Um, I've got enough money from my investments just to retire, to not work whenever I want to. Um, do you think that plays any any part of it um, in what you're doing now and why you um, like work as hard as you do? Um, for me, like I would, I would never be content. Just it's my nature. Like I'm a com- competitive, like come from competitive sports background type of guy I just I can't help it like I love being involved in the game like I just don't want to be a spectator to life yeah so for me I get a lot of my needs for significance and contribution through my day job now and for me like you know those basic needs that once survival and you know basic living needs are met um, like those things that are a little bit further up the chain to me that make my life meaningful get met through work. And so I've tried to sort of just kick back. Like saying that we took six, oh, what did we take? Um, four, at least 12 weeks off in the last 12 months to um, travel and holiday and spend time with the family. Like we will work extremely hard, but we will work extremely focused as well. So it, it, it change, I suppose it changes the way you work from nine to five to working extremely, extremely hard for stints and then, you know, playing or relaxing extremely hard for stints as well. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that's 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 awesome, you know, that you got the flexibility um, to do that. And it's, it's probably one of the, the main things um, that attracts me to, you know, strive for this financial independence just so it can give you just that, the independence to um, just go on holidays and, you know, spend more time with your family. Um, I know now... You know, I'm working full time, and um, it's crazy. I, like I've got a partner, and 
I play footy um, and I swear I, I hardly have any time as it is now um, I, I commute now each way to work that probably doesn't help but um, I I'm looking sort of you know down the track and I'm seeing people have kids now and I'm just thinking where is where, how am I going to get the time to do everything you know I enjoy doing when kids come on the scene if I don't even have enough time as it is now and I and yep. I know what I know what people do when that happens they they have to give up something you know they they either drop the gym they drop the footy or they you know they drop something that they like doing and it's just like you know work kids and it's very little um fun time in between for yourself and I just did not want to be in that position which is why I'm I'm, I'm trying to get to where I'm I'm going but um you know especially yourself having children now yeah you have two kids um that must be an absolute uh, pleasure for you and your wife to know that you've got that flexibility. Oh, absolutely. And to me, honestly, a huge part of our motivation now comes from kids. Like for me, kids changed everything. And one thing growing up was that my dad worked really, really hard. He came from absolutely nothing. Mm. And over the, from the time I was, one and a half of the time I was four and a half we we literally lived in a caravan like we had nothing while they saved for their first property they bought their first property when interest rates were at 18 percent and my dad like couldn't buy a beer at the end of the week that's how like great money as well and I learned from observing them that one I don't want to miss those early stages, which is why I left work when my daughter was a year and a half. I'd already felt like I'd lost enough time with her in her life to, to not be able to not be there. And secondly, um, like my my dad ended up turning his situation around and buying some great investment properties and starting some really successful businesses that are you know still running 10, 15, 20 years later oh, and wow. having even a lifetime, but also listening to them and seeing the things that they missed out on that if they had made decisions, you know, at the age that you and I sort of are, it would have just, their, their, their time now would just be completely different. Yeah, totally. So I don't want to trade time for money and yeah, I don't absolutely. want to miss out on the, the most important things, which is being able to say yes to the things that you really care about and to be able to, as you said, like find time for the things that inspire you so that you can do your best work, not just, um, you know, exist there for a paycheck yeah and it sounds you know like he was a bit of an entrepreneur himself um you know a uh, bit of a chip off the old block it seems like um your old your old man's <laughs> bit of influence on you <laughs> yeah for sure like he showed me that it was possible um and he didn't have a business that failed so i i never looked at business as a risk because i could see how it could work yeah totally and i think that's that's such a big thing about it is seeing people that have actually done it like before i knew about anything to do with finance investing financial freedom what whatever you know none of that um once you discover it and i I went to a heap of um property conferences and i'm meeting all these people and it's like whoa they're actually out there like these people are are doing it and you know now i'm interviewing yourself who's retired from work at 29 it's crazy it's 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 um yeah, it's it's awesome that you you have that in the back of your mind that you know this might be possible. You read about it, but then when you actually meet someone that's doing it, I think that 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 puts it into perspective and it really um it really just validates it that this is an actual thing. You managed to retire from full time work at twenty nine. 
you know, your parents managed to buy a property when interest rates were at 18%. Um, do you do you think property in the two capital cities is unattainable? And I guess what would you say to people that are looking to buy property in the two capital cities that the prices are very, very high at the moment? Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that and that current situation? Because there's a pretty hot topic at the moment. Sure, look, I... Um wouldn't touch Sydney or Melbourne personally with a 10-foot pole. Like, if you paid me to invest down there right now, I, <laughs> I wouldn't even consider it. Um, and that's because something that I read Warren Buffett a long time ago is, um, you know, don't rush into markets that are at peak and definitely don't buy in markets where everybody else has already just bought. Like, the successful people in Sydney and Melbourne are the people that have owned property for 10 years and have either cashed out or you know, made equity through this boom. They're not the people that have just bought in in the last 12 months. Right. So um, my thoughts are, one, there's parts of both of those markets that are extremely affordable and extremely attainable now, Mm. but you've probably got to be a little bit more creative in the type of product that you're buying. Um, Maybe the dream of buying a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home on a 600-square-meter blocks for a lot of people in our age group um, is completely unattainable now, but there's there's still plenty of value in the right sorts of townhouses, in the right suburbs, in the right sorts of apartments, in the right suburbs. But um, I think that I think the the good buying in areas like that will be in three four years time, where you've got these people that are earning a hundred grand a year that now own million dollar properties, um, and interest rates go up to seven or eight or nine, and and all of a sudden they can't afford to service the interest, let alone the principal repayments on the loan and a huge amount of distressed property comes back onto the market, that will be a, you know, a good time if you can financially put yourself in the position to capitalise on that. Sure. So It's all about timing. Like right now, it doesn't represent good buying. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and you're talking from an investment point of view. Um, now, what about someone that you know, wants to just um, buy a house to live in? So they're not looking to invest. What advice would you give to people um, that are that are looking to uh, break break away from that from that renters um, not trap but that uh, that renting for the rest of your life. Um, any tips or tricks or how how would you go about it? if you're a young man in Melbourne right now and you're earning you know eighty ninety thousand dollars? What what would you sort of do? Would you move to an outer suburb or would you um would you uh, you know look to advance your career? How would you how would you tackle that? Um, this is I do get to speak to a lot of really motivated youngs, um, and so what I generally suggest to them is um, put ice on trying to buy the property that you want to live in in Melbourne for the next five years, and over that five-year period, focus on either building a fantastic business if you're that way orientated, which most people aren't. If you're not, focus on making absolutely as much money in the you know next five years as you possibly can through bettering yourself and your career mm-hmm. and then lifestyle that you want to lead because the great thing about Sydney is you can lead a million dollar lifestyle for 700 bucks a week in rent yeah uh, and, in, and in, uh, and owning your own only works if the market is consistently increasing over the period of time that you own it there's nothing to guarantee that Melbourne or Sydney because it's had eight years of growth in the last three to say that Sydney or Melbourne is going to increase in value at all over the next five years. So 
you would be far better off if you're not making money through your principal place of residence, renting the lifestyle that you want to leave now, forgetting about buying and then investing in other areas or other states that can provide you, you know, say you buy one, two, three properties over the next five years, that can make you, let's say, $300,000 in equity over that five period, redrawing that equity as a larger down payment on the home that you want to own once you're earning the income to be able to justify that and once the marketplace isn't as ridiculously hot as it is right now. Like, that's my sort of thoughts on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what no, are your sort of um, thoughts on that? It's a, it's a really interesting um, topic and, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny, those two markets, you know, um, as I said, I, I know people in Melbourne that are trying to buy and it's just so expensive and, like, Sydney's even worse. And like you said, um, renting just seems like such the logical uh, choice now because, um, you know, if you break it down into into rental yield, you know, um, if you rent a joint in Sydney, it's so much cheaper for you to do that. Like if you were to actually buy the same place that you rent, your payments would be double, triple of what you're currently renting it for. And if you just save the difference, like if you're disciplined enough to save the difference between... Um, how much you pay for rent and what you got left over for savings um you can clean up like you you can you can totally uh become a lot wealthier by renting and investing the difference than you can by paying you know over uh over stretching yourself and trying to get this massive mortgage and then having to make these huge repayments every month um but i guess it's sort of ingrained into a lot of people in Australia that, you know, your home is your castle and um, everyone hasn't made it until they buy buy their home, which is, yep. you know, it's probably not true, but it's 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 definitely a, an Australian mantra. I know I met someone once at a property conference. He was a multimillionaire, financially retired years ago, and he rents. He still rents. He doesn't actually own his um, place of residency. <laughs> yep. And he's like, and he, he's exactly the same thing that you said. He goes, I live in Sydney. I can um, rent this, you know, $1.7 million uh, apartment on the bloody waterfront or whatever, wherever it was. Um, why would I, you know, why would I buy a place and pay all that money in repayments when I can just happily rent it and, and live in a much better place than if I bought yeah, like I can understand the psychology of people wanting to own home and the pressure that, you know, mums and dads and people in the community oh, place. Yeah. And if tell you what, if I knew that my million-dollar house that I just bought was going to double in value in seven years like it has done historically, then I would be owning my own house in Sydney or Melbourne and making it work. But that that old those old days are gone. Like the best you can... the when I look at my numbers on my properties, I dead growth rate of four percent, and if it's not going to give me four percent, I won't invest. But I think anything above four percent these days is seriously cher- like a cherry on top of the cake type thing because you don't need a four hundred thousand dollar place leveraged to increase in value by ten percent every year like you did a hundred thousand dollar place because you're still getting the same dollar for dollar return out of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's um, it, I it's it's funny because you would probably be this of similar age, uh, well, in terms of um property life cycles. But have you ever seen a major crash in Australian property? Because I haven't since I've been alive, and I don't 
Uh, my parents might have, but I don't think there's been one for a long, long time. And um, it's, you know, they had that massive surge between 2001 to 2004 to 2005. And then it sort of, um, you know, slowly, slowly increased. And then Sydney's gone bananas in the last couple of years. It's almost, you know, due for a bit of a, a flat line or, or decline, some would think. Yeah, well, Sydney, I mean, was in correction from 2005 basically through to 2000 or 2013. And I suppose Brisbane sat flat for eight years. Gold Coast sat flat for nine years. That's true. Melbourne's consistently sort of ticked along. So they, you know, like all of, all of the markets have done what people projected they'd do. There's no... There's no way that the sort of growth that they saw between 2001, 2003 and 2004, 05 will, like it's just almost impossible for that to occur again. Mm-hmm. And that that's why I'm so into that manufactured growth and like multiple strategies on a property option now because you really, you know, the old days of just hoping that you're going to make 100 grand to buy your next property kind of are over unless you've got a huge amount of time which I don't think any young person really wants to wait 30 or 40 years before or they retire yeah. these days yeah sure sure um, so Australia was pretty much uh, largely unaffected by the global financial financial crisis in 2008 and I don't know if you've watched the movie um, there's a new movie that just come out it's uh, it's basically about that financial crisis and a whole bunch of blokes betting against it. Um, I'm trying to think. It's uh, it's um, oh, God, the name escapes me. Anyway, it's it's. Is it's, it the one with Brad Pitt in it? Yes, like it's that's a, the one. Yeah, you know yeah, I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. Oh, no. okay, you haven't seen. It. I watched it uh, a few few nights ago. It's a really good movie, but it's pretty scary. You know, like um, their financial, uh, well, their property market just went completely underwater and it was like you know not exactly the same with australia but does cause i invest in property myself and so do you does anything like that um scare you or does anything like that sort of come on your radar in australia and you you worry about that yeah um I'm, the movie's called the big short is that the one you're that's the about? one yeah did you just google yeah, it i was cool. gonna google it but, yeah i did i thought yeah. i'm here um yeah so all, I, I'm I'm constantly driven by risk and fear. Like I still, from the upbringing I had, I still am always preparing for a rainy day. I suppose so. Yeah. The way that I prepare is to just overcapitalize. So to have, for example, a revenue stream in my business that is recession proof, which is a property management business. Um. So yeah, you're going to have a higher sales value from the sort of business that I am, which is buyer's agency. But then you can buffer that with let's say, a million-dollar property management business that, you know, regardless of what happens in the world, people are still going to need to rent and maybe their rent will decrease by 50 bucks a week but you're still going to get your 7% every single week of the year for those properties. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, 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 I'm always concerned with that as well. Like if I can't manufacture growth into my portfolio on the day that I a loan-to-value ratio, Below seventy percent, I'm I'm seriously concerned and won't won't proceed with that property at that time. Yeah, totally. So, I've seen um, the global financial crisis. I bought five properties in, bought some stuff, you know, in Sydney, for example, that was twenty percent below what the same property was worth twelve months before. So there was a slight correction in Sydney, but um, 
you know, I read about stuff in Japan, for example. Yeah. Pretty percent overnight, and their economy was as stable as Australia's, and that sort of stuff scares the shit out of me. And uh, it's all about trying to create an income stream that exists regardless of the marketplace, mm. so that um, you know when when things happen and they will, you're in a position to capitalise on that, and you've got cash funds and liquid funds that you can you know, go out and buy the distressed assets that other people need to move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I look at like something like a GFC now as an amazing opportunity where five years ago I would have been seriously concerned about it. And I, you know, I'm like every investor, like look for those opportunities to pick up distressed assets now. Yeah, well, it's like, um, you know, Warren Buffett says, uh, be greedy, greedy when people are fearful and, um, you know, be be wary when people are greedy. Like I think that was a exactly famous quote or something along those lines, and it's definitely true. And I, you know, I, I get asked all the time. Like only a few people um, sort of know, you know, what I'm trying to do. And you know, I've got three properties myself, and so many. Um, there's there's two two people that you know you come across. Other they're either supportive and they're you know. Um, you know, want you to succeed and they're all for it. But then I just find that there's a lot of people that are just doomsdayers and they're just, you know, people have absolutely (laughs) no idea about property, never invested in a single property in their life. And then suddenly they're telling me, you know, how um, I've just made the biggest mistake of my life, you know, uh, like just naysayers. Um, Did you ever come across across those and on your journey and how did you deal with them yeah absolutely and it's it's really sad because most of those people were good friends Mm. and most of the people in my life still think i'm ridiculous and crazy but now they see me living on a waterfront house (laughs) without having to work and they're kind of like okay if they if they did stay along for the journey they've kind of come back around and gone, okay, dude, what are you actually doing? Because, you know, I'm on the train commuting two hours every day oh, each man. way and, and you're sitting yes. in your, your house. And I don't mean to be a dickhead and sound like an arrogant person about that, but the difference is I made I made choices from about four years ago based on happiness and what was in line with my value system when a lot of people in my life make choices based on fear. So, yeah. Um, with a lot of those naysayers like I think about this a lot like I think as you into I don't know you could call it like vibrating on a different frequency or getting yourself in a different mental headspace you just like you like you're going to attract hundreds of thousands of amazing people to this podcast over time and your community will become people that are just like you get in touch with more who you are so similar to yourself when I started my journey like I had a goal for eight years which was to sit down with five people worth between one and 50 million dollars per week and just sit with them for an hour and interview them and learn and find the pattern and it is a very simple linear by what it is and it's just about replicating yeah totally super interesting and I think as well like you have to take a risk to get somewhere in life like if it was if it was easy everyone would do it so it doesn't matter what you're doing if you put 
savings into a savings account even to earn money. Like that's a very small risk, but it's still a risk. Like it slowly annoy, annoys me even when, you know, people have a go at something <laughs> and there's so many people around that are just like trying to pull them down. Like you see it happen all the time, not even just investing like sports and, you know, uh, uh, like just poor, poor, uh, tall poppy syndrome, you know? Um, but yeah, like you said, I guess you just got to, you know, focus on where you want to be, um, make the plan and, and just go for it. And Hey, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'm sure there's going to be bumps along the road, along the road but um at least you can say you had a go like even if you fail even if it all comes crashing down you can say hey i had a crack and you're not gonna i mean you know, if, if it comes down, the one thing you've got is the skill set to be able to rebuild it the yeah. problem when it all comes crashing down and you don't have the skills is you, you don't get back on your feet and that's where you see these poor marginalized people that end up on the you know the pension and that when you talk about risk, it's really funny because I used to see risk as buying a $400,000 investment property. Now I see risk as not making that decision because I see the long-term impact of what not achieving financial independence does and that is less time doing the things you love, less time with your family, less time doing um, you know, things that you're passionate about, like less time contributing to the world. To me, financially, money is just a, and it comes and it goes. And you notice the people that spend the most time focusing on money are the people that have the least. Like the people that have the money are, are pretty with everything. And it, it's sort of just, it's, it's, it's really weird. It's, I suppose, just being in flow with money and also having the skill set. Yeah. and make it and it, it is a skill so it's not something that anyone's born with unless you come from a family that's sort of worth 15 plus million dollars and it's just been brought up to you to you know generate serious cash yeah absolutely and I couldn't agree with you anymore like it's funny people that have money they it, when I was younger you would think that the guy with the flashy car or the guy that dresses really well or you know, they're the ones that are, are wealthy. But when I got older, no it's like all my friends that like parents that I know do really well, um, they have businesses and everything. They're just, you know, they're wearing 10 year old trackies and like they're driving <laughs> just normal cars. And I'm like, you know, what's, what's going on here? Like, you know, <laughs> movies have lied to me my whole life and everything, everything that I thought about, uh, about rich people ha- has been the opposite. There's actually, have you ever read, um, uh, the Millionaire Next Door. I have actually, yeah, that's an awesome book as well. Yeah, it's a great book. It's just it's so, it's so true though. It's like the people that you know have to have the latest um, Mercedes Benz, you know, every year. Um, they don't they don't own any growth assets. Like yeah, so some of them um, do, but like I just I know a lot of people in my life that have the latest cars, have the latest this, have the latest that but they don't actually, um, they're not actually wealthy. Like they have all the latest toys and gadgets and stuff, but um, yeah, it's almost like they're living a, a um, not a, a lie, but you know, they're portraying themselves as something that they're not. And the, the guys that are, are really wealthy um, don't need to, don't need to do that. And like half the time, they're just very simple people. They probably spend less than most people spend per week on themselves. 
Yeah, I don't think really many people that I've met that have serious money or that I've interviewed and things like that care because like most people that have got to a point realise that things aren't what make you happy. Like relationships, contribution, doing things you're passionate about and fulfilling like whatever it is you want to do with the world is what makes me happy personally. Mm. I talk to, you know, I get to speak to a lot of people and I'd say like the higher income earners that are earning wages that are earning sort of 200 to 500 grand per year and I probably speak to about 30 of them a month that inquire through our business are ones that own maybe one property that have the most personal debts, that have the most car debts, that have the most credit card debts because, you know, whether they're earning 80 grand or 500k a year, they're still to spend it and their friends think they're absolutely killing it and I look at them going you know, why the hell didn't you retire five years ago? Like, what are you still doing? And they're yeah. complaining about the job and, you know, they could have a way out of that job within two years if they were smart. Yeah, that's that's just crazy. Um, yeah, right, time is just about um, wrapping up. So my final question to you is if you had to start again, let's rewind back to you when you were 19, the stars are aligning in Europe and you're sitting there in front of the Eiffel Tower. What would you do differently knowing what you know now to reach financial independence as quickly as possible? I would have not gone to university, gone and got a job straight away in real estate. (laughs) I would have just became a property investor from that exact moment I think that I now know. Um, And the, the other thing that I would have done would be to have belief in myself that I didn't need other people's approval and all these skills that I thought I had to do to go and do what I wanted to do. Like all of that stuff is in you. Like every single person's got a unique ability and anything that you need to learn along the way you can. Like to have just taken the plunge earlier, like I probably would have been ready to start the business five years before I did. I just didn't have the confidence and had all these expectations and limiting beliefs that were stopping me from doing what I really like I'm supposed to do which is what I'm doing now with my life so jump into property straight away and um, had belief in myself about two big things cool and I think a lot of people that seems to be a common theme with a lot of successful um, you know businessmen and um, investors and you know anyone seems to be I wish I had done it years earlier I think um, uh, the, the guy that started KFC in America he he started that franchise at 60 or 65 i think <laughs> yeah and it's like true. he he's got a quote that says you know why didn't i do this like 30 years ago um, <laughs> and that yeah that just is crazy and i'm sure there's a lot of people um that are successful that have have the same regret but hey like you're super young so it's not like uh you miss the boat by that much but um yeah that's definitely definitely something I think of um, that you got to do it you know like you just you, you got to have a go at something because you don't want to be um, near in 60 you know waiting to retire on a super or pro- not going to be uh, the super's going to be around the pension probably won't be around by then but um, yeah and just have it in the back of your head thinking why didn't I why didn't I try something and you know why didn't I do it sooner so cool yeah for sure all right, um, thank you so much, Ben, for uh, being on the podcast. Um, and um, 
wish you all the best in the future and hopefully I see you again soon. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time and so excited for what you're trying to do. I can't wait to continue to listen in and um, see who else you get to interview.